truly is my privilege to be with you this morning. And I have to tell you, I have been blessed already, haven't you? Beautiful. Thank you, Lynn and choir. In just a moment, we're going to be reading from the 8th chapter of John. You'll want to turn to that 31st verse. We begin reading there in just a few moments. I'll be reading from the NIV. You can follow along in your translation. John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? John 8, starting with verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Isn't it interesting how selective memory works? They seem to have forgotten that whole slavery in Egypt thing and Moses and Joshua and the plagues and the Red Sea and all of that. Continuing verse 34, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we pray that you would guide our thoughts, our minds this morning as we think about not only celebrating our Independence Day as a nation, but as we also claim, come to claim the independence that we have over sin and being bound by sin in our lives. Father, we pray that you would open our minds to what you would have for us this hour. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. My sermon title today is Pledge Allegiance. And before I begin, I have some homework for you. Many of you will remember comedian Red Skelton from years past. I would encourage you sometime today, tomorrow, before Tuesday the 4th, either on your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever device you have, go to YouTube and search for Pledge of Allegiance Red Skelton. You will find a rare, serious presentation by Red Skelton that will warm your heart. It will bless you as you listen as he explains word by word and phrase by phrase exactly what we mean when we offer that pledge of allegiance. I believe that it's good and right to include patriotic emphases in our worship when it is appropriate. We need to understand that these occasions are more than just times for cookouts and barbecues and hot dogs and baseball and fireworks. This weekend, we celebrate the birth of our nation. And today, with that, we include celebrating new birth as we experience it only through the gift of Jesus, the Son of God. I'd like to help place what we celebrate this weekend and July 4th in perspective. At the time that Thomas Jefferson died, there was a 17-year-old named Abraham Lincoln who would become one of our greatest presidents. When Abraham Lincoln died, there was an eight-year-old boy by the name of Woodrow Wilson who would later succeed him in that office. Before President Wilson died, there was a 12-year-old named Ronnie Reagan who would also become one of our most revered presidents. Just four lifetimes take us back to Patrick Henry, who said it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation 
was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his farewell address to our nation, President George Washington said, Do not let anyone claim tribute to American patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. John Adams said this about our government and our Constitution. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is inadequate to the government of any other. While serving as president, Thomas Jefferson said this, the First Amendment should keep the government from running the church. It should also make sure that Christian principles should always stay in government. In spite of how many, how uh, any number of many current day politicians might attempt to dissuade us, we need to remember today that America was founded not on the freedom of the concept of worshiping any god with a lower G, Buddha, Allah, Brahman, or some self-proclaimed human god. But we were founded on the freedom to worship God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ. When the pilgrims landed at Pilgrim Rock in 1620, they signed the Mayflower contract, which said this, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, we do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. What they were saying was that we came here for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 23 years later, as more and more people came to our shores, they formed the New England Confederation, which was the first constitution written on our soil in 1643. And it said, we came here with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Our founding fathers were not perfect. Not all of them were fundamental Christians, but they did to a one acknowledge that God of the Bible was the supreme ruler over man and government. In recognizing that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, what they were saying was that we want a government whose job is to recognize and to protect what our creator God has given us. After naming their charges against King George of England, in the Declaration of Independence, they said this, we the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. They were declaring their intentions and their independence from England by appealing to the supreme judge of the world, God himself. During a meeting of the Continental Congress when there was some debate about some of the wording of the declaration, it was Benjamin Franklin who said, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, Will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. And 
from that, each and every signer of the Declaration of Independence went to his knees and began to seek the wisdom of God. What a difference it would make in our nation today if all three branches of government and leaders in every city, county, and state government would get down on their knees and pray to the supreme judge of the world, what do you want for our land? 45 years after signing the Declaration, John Quincy Adams said this, from the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We came together to obey the word of God. Today, I'd like for us to see some parallels between our founding fathers' allegiance to our country and our allegiance to Jesus Christ. At the beginning of our service this morning, we pledged our allegiance to our country as well as to our Savior and to God's holy word. I'd like for us to look closely to what we were pledging our allegiance. I will make the same observations about the allegiance to our Savior as we did to our country. Number one in your outlines today. First of all, the patriots made a bold declaration. 247 years ago today, on July 2nd, 1776, the colonies voted to announce and declare that they would accept nothing less than absolute freedom from England. And it was then two days later, on July 4th, after making a few minor adjustments, the final wording was signed by those 56 signers representing the 13 colonies. John Adams was so excited. He wrote a letter back home to his wife in which he said, The 2nd of July, 1776, will be the most memorable day in the history of America. I believe it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival with shows, games, sports, balls, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of the country to the other, from this time forward and forevermore. Well, except for the date, because we celebrate July 4th, the day that that final wording was approved, John Adams was right on target. Couriers took copies of that declaration to George Washington, who was with his troops in, the, in New York. And on July 9th, the declaration was read to the militia troops. We have to understand that this was a bold declaration. Those brave men were challenging the most powerful empire in the world at that time. Those young Americans entered the war without a navy or an army. Their fighting ranks consisted of militia forces within the colonies armed with hunting rifles. Opposing them was England's army comprised of well-trained and highly disciplined professional soldiers. It was a bold declaration. Number two, the patriots paid a high price. After declaring their independence, the Americans had to win it by force. It was tactically difficult, but it was also difficult for some other reasons. It's just being realistic to admit that not everyone supported 
the war effort, about a third of the colonists remained loyal to England. They sided with them in the war, so they were called the loyalists. But then there was another third or so of the, of the population who showed unconcern for the war in any way. They didn't side with America. They didn't side with England. They were indifferent. They really didn't care which side won. Those brave and courageous Americans paid a high price. Over 7,000 Americans were killed. 10,000 more died from disease and exposure. Over 6,000 died in prison. Over 8,000 were wounded. And more than 1,400 were listed as missing in action. What about those 56 signers of the Declaration? What price did they pay for our allegiance? Nine fought and died in the war. Five were captured and tortured to death. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost sons who fought in the war, and two more had sons who were captured. John Hart was driven from his home. His 13 children also fled for their lives. His home and fields and property were destroyed. He lived in forests and caves for a year and never heard from any of his children again. Our founding fathers made a bold declaration, and they paid a high price. Number three, they also reaped a great reward. In 1781, British General Cornwallis hid in a cave, and 10,000 British soldiers laid down their arms in surrender. The patriots won their freedom, their independence, and a nation was born. At the Treaty of Paris in 1783, the United States territory doubled in size. Though many of those original signers paid dearly for their actions, others also reaped a great reward. Two became U.S. presidents. Ten became congressmen. Nineteen became judges. Sixteen became governors, not to mention the endearing place all of them hold in history. They pledged their allegiance. They paid the price with their lives and they reaped the rewards of a new land and a new future. Now I'd like for us to see some Christian parallels with that. Christians also make a bold declaration. Number four, if you're a Christian today, you have made that bold declaration. Do you remember the day that you accepted Christ? And that you took a stand with your family or some congregation, a church, some form of the body of Christ. And you proclaimed your desire to be a Christian and to serve him. You were announcing to, your, to the world your independence from sin. Jesus said in our passage at the beginning of the message this morning that we were slaves to sin. You were turning away from worldly unrighteousness to become united with Christ. Do you remember the day that you made that good confession, I repent of my sin, and I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior? Do you remember the day that you were baptized, 
symbolically showing that your old life had died and that you were rising to a new life, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You were making a bold declaration. That was when you began pledging your allegiance, your dedication, your honor, your loyalty, your life to Jesus. That's why at the beginning of our service this morning, we pledged our allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. When we do that, we are declaring the very same thing that the Apostle Paul did in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It is a bold declaration to say that you will no longer live for self, but that you will live no longer for your way and your will, to say that you will no longer live for the things of the world, power and population and prestige. Rather, you will seek God's will for your life. You seek to do what pleases Him. You seek to do what will glorify Him. In the pastor's page in your bulletin today, I have a definition of glorifying God. It's very, very simple. Making God look One of the simplest and yet most profound definitions of glorifying God, making God look good. You are declaring to the world that he comes first in your life because you want God to look good to the world through your life. It is a bold declaration to say that you will live for the one who died for you. For Christians here today in the sanctuary or those listening on the radio or on streaming later on, you have made that declaration, but I need to ask you, are you living up to it? Are you honoring your Christian pledge of allegiance? It is as bold and as powerful as the one Joshua said in Joshua 24. We talked about that together a couple of weeks ago. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When you came to Christ, you pledged your allegiance to him and you were making a bold declaration. Number five, Christians also pay a high price. Now, don't misunderstand. When we receive Christ into our lives, it is a free gift of God's grace. We don't pay for it. We don't earn it in any way. Let me share with you what I mean by Christians must pay a high price. It was one thing for those signers of the Declaration of Independence to make that declaration in the safety and comfort and security of that public building in Philadelphia. But those signers of the Declaration knew that there would be far-reaching circumstances of placing their names on that parchment. There would be a price to pay. And for us, It's one thing to make that declaration in the comfort of our home or in a church setting, but it's quite another to live up to it, to fulfill that declaration on the battlefields of our lives. Most of the time saying the words, that's the easy part. 
the actions are more difficult. When Joshua made that bold declaration for he and his family that I referred to a moment ago, they were not alone. If you were to look at the 24th chapter of Joshua, verse 16 has the people as saying, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And then two verses later, verse 18, they say, We will serve the Lord because he is our God. But you know what? They said it, but it didn't last. That's the end of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. If you just turn one page and go into Judges, and then the second chapter of Judges, starting with verse 11, it says this, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, those pagan gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their forefathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. There are some other parallels as well. Just like the patriots, battles for us are also going to be hard. We are going to be challenging an empire that is very powerful. We are in a war, Ephesians 6.12, against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world. We are taking a stand against the spiritual forces of evil. We are in a war. And we have a real enemy. And he doesn't like it when we oppose him. Our enemy has a name. And Satan will attack us and pursue us and tempt us and do everything he can to cause us to believe that there's no danger in sin. At times he will come to us like a roaring lion. And at times he will appear as an angel of light. And there are other parallels as well. Do you remember that other third of the colonists that I told you just wouldn't choose sides one way or the other? They didn't care who won. They showed no allegiance. There are people today who are just as indifferent when it comes to spiritual matters. They're uninvolved. They'd rather stay on the, in their comfort zones and just watch and observe from the outside. Make no mistake, there is a high price to pay to fulfill our declaration that Jesus is Lord of our lives. He demands, Jesus demands total unswerving allegiance. And that has never been a secret. Jesus also spoke of those who make the declaration, but only in words and not with their lives. In the seventh chapter of Matthew, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now that phrase saying that the only ones who will be there are the ones who are doing the will, that's not talking about a salvation by works. That's talking about their lives will be evidences of Jesus working in their lives. There will be an evidence of it. Jesus went on to say that there would be many people who would have claimed to do many things, but then he is going to have to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And You know as well as I do that when the word know is used many times in the Bible, it's talking about a very deep, personal, even intimate kind of relationship to know someone in that way. And what Jesus was saying was that I'm going to have to say, I never knew you. 
Why? Because you never allowed me to come to know you in that personal, deeply intense, intimate way. And that's why I'm going to have to say, I don't know you. Paul wrote about it. In Titus 1.16, he said, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. What is it that gets in the way of people keeping and honoring that declaration? Many people have good intentions. And so what is it that gets in the way? The answer is found in one simple word. Self. Self. In your bulletin outlines, you have a two-sentence prayer. Lord God, I give myself to you. Help me to find and to do just what you have for me today. Let me suggest that you take that little slip from the bulletin or rewrite it if you want on a little sticky note or type it with your computer and, and put it somewhere that you'll see it and see it often. Put it on your bedside table, put it on your mirror, put it on your breakfast table, your dresser, somewhere. Lord God, I give myself to you. Help me to find and to do just what you have for me today. Let me give you another version of that same prayer. Lord, I give myself to you today. Help me to stay out of the way. <laughs> Lord, I give myself to you. Just help me stay out of the way. Because you see, we get in the way. Our opinions, our desires, our comfort, our convenience, our thinking, we know what's best. Many people will say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. But what they mean is, until I disagree. Some people will say, oh yes, I pledge my allegiance to the Christian flag, just don't ask me to show it. Oh yes, I pledge my allegiance to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, but I'm going to keep it private. Just let me pay my taxes and be done with it. Now, did I mean to say taxes there or tithes? To some people, it's the same thing. May God help us may God help us to honor his son and our savior and lord not just in a pledge we recite but in the daily living of our lives but you know what there's one more thing that we need to see here as well because Christians will reap a great reward John eight thirty two said then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free just a few verses later, verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Christians, believers in the Son, have a reward of a fellowship. We have a place where the burdened and the oppressed can be released. We have a place of hope and joy. We have a place of love and forgiveness. We have a place of new beginnings. And that place is right here in the body of Jesus Christ. But one day, we will reap the greatest reward of all at the time of death 
or when our Lord comes to receive us unto himself, we will experience eternal life. We'll be able to cling with the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4, who wrote of a new birth into a living hope and an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you today for the gift of allowing us to live in this blessed land, a land that you blessed since its humble beginnings. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come and worship and to call on your holy name. And our prayer today, Father, is that you would help us to realize that when we call to you, you call us to make that bold declaration to everyone around us that Jesus Christ is Lord. You call us to honor our Savior with our lives. Renew in us today, Father, a desire to do just that, to honor Him and to serve Him with every part of our lives. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to a time of commitment. And as we stand and sing in just a moment, this is your opportunity to respond in any way that God might be speaking to you regarding your relationship with Him or your relationship with this church. Would you listen? Would you respond as God touches your heart? Stand and